Well, I want to share with you uh, this morning uh, the beginning of a series entitled Worth Sharing. And I think if something is worth having, it's worth sharing. And so my approach this morning will be that we have something that's very wonderful that God has done for us and in us that is certainly worth having. That's what we celebrate. That's what we have uh, built our lives on and around. And it's not just worth having. If it is worth having, it is indeed worth sharing. And uh, certainly not anything that we have to be selfish about uh, that, you know, the goodness of God, there's only enough for me. You know, and we want to be able to share that with other folks today, okay? And so we're going to get into some things. I'm always aware of, and I think this is important, who is your audience? Well, that's, that's a harder thing to track than you would think. And so if we look and think corner to corner in this, in this room this morning, um, I can't tell you one single category of, of, of people I can't tell you where everybody's at concerning their walk with God, their understanding of the things of God. And so I'm going to endeavor this morning to do a couple of things. And we're going to talk about the wonderful gospel, the good news of God and what that means. And then I'm going to talk to those of us that are believers that have received that gospel. And I want to talk to you about a responsibility that we have uh, concerning the gospel. And that's where we, we get the idea of worth sharing. So we're going to begin in Romans chapter 1. Are you, are you with me here? Make, make some noise, bob your head, do something. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And to give us a little further clarity in that, let's read the same passage from the New Living Translation. It reads this way, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who works really, really hard at it. Now, saving everyone who what? Who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. Just bookmark that for a moment. God makes us right in his sight. I think so often we're trying to make ourselves right in God's sight. And it is God, it is the work of God uh, through his love and through the work of Jesus that God makes us right in his sight. Let's keep going here. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a person, a righteous person has life. And so this is the good news. This is the good news. Abraham, it says of Abraham that it was accounted to him as righteousness. What was accounted to him as righteousness? Here's what it is. That he believed God. Everybody say, I believe. Sometimes we still have this works mentality that I, I, and we're to cooperate. And there are things that we are to do. But we've got to understand that God has done the work. Jesus did the work on the cross. And we receive life in him by believing that, by believing that. And believing is something we say, it's something that we are, it's how we think, it affects everything that we believe. And this gospel actually becomes good news to us, and it brings salvation to us by believing. Let me point out a couple of big words for you in this passage here. First of all, uh, first of all gospel, everybody say gospel. And the gospel means what? Good news. What makes something good news? The bad news. 
the bad news. Hey, I've got some good news and some bad news. And I know a million jokes on those, but we, we don't have time right, right this morning. Uh, but there is good news for us. And you don't have to look very far in our world to see that there's bad news. You need only to listen to your answering machine and look in your mailbox. You know, and, and there's bad news. And so we need some good news. And so gospel is a huge, huge word here in this phrase. Here's a couple other words. Power. I want you to just make note of that. Salvation. Believe. And righteousness. And we're going to tap on each of those as we go along here this morning. The gospel, power, salvation, believe, righteousness. And regarding the gospel, think about this. There is something that is so powerful that it will bring salvation to you if you believe. There's something so powerful, it will bring salvation to you if you believe. So let's look at this word salvation here to make sure we're understanding something. It has to do with deliverance and safety and preservation. I like this word, though, that goes with it. Rescue. Rescue. Have you ever had anybody rescue you before in a situation? I remember my brother and I, years ago, we were at, uh, I think it was Ormond Beach. We were just little guys at the beach, and we were on a styrofoam surfboard, just kind of holding on, and the undertow got us and just, you know, was taking us away. And all of a sudden, there was a guy, just suddenly there's a guy, and he rescued us and brought us to shore. And we had all kinds of visions of Portuguese man of war and sharks and... You know, that we'd never come home, you know, and he, he rescued us. Now, I don't know how far we would have gone. I don't know how great peril we truly were in, but I felt rescued that day. And there have been a whole lot of other times in your life that you've been rescued. But I'm, this rescue, that word rescue captures this in a, in a, in a real and dramatic way here. Uh, it also means preservation from danger and preservation from destruction. And so the salvation that comes to us, we almost get numb to the word salvation, gospel. That's why I'm kind of pointing out these, these words for us here. But you need to know that what it is, it is salvation comes from a savior. And a savior is one who makes you safe and he keeps you safe. He makes you safe and he keeps you safe. You know, that guy rescued my brother and I and we never saw him again. Okay. But that's, this is way, way different that he makes us safe from something that is very eternal and very present. And then he keeps us safe. And part of the rescue is this, that he brings us out of something and then he puts us into something. Now look at this verse here in Deuteronomy 6.23. It says, then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in. To the land of which he swore to our fathers. Folks, that's salvation. That he would bring you out of something and he would bring you into something that he has promised you. We find in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, real incredible verse here, that he has rescued us. He has delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Now, what, what did he do? He rescued us, but then he didn't leave us by the side of the road. There, you're out. Good luck. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and translated, transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says that he has called us out of darkness 
and called us into his marvelous light. So this is what salvation does. Get this. He brings you out of something and he brings you into something. He brings us out of sin. He brings us out of the clutch of the enemy. And he brings us into his care, into his kingdom, and into the family of God. If you're with me so far, say something, do something here. Now, here's the deal. It took power for that to happen. It took power. And you and I, we don't have the power that we need. We don't have the power that we need. We don't have the power to rescue ourselves. We don't have the power to change ourselves. Get in on this now. We don't have the power to help ourselves. We don't. Let me say this. I don't have the power to rescue me. I don't have the power to change me. I don't have the power to help me. I make it more personal for you. You don't have the power to rescue you. You don't have the power to change you. You don't have the power to help you. That's why it's a a fallacy. You you go to bookstores and go online and you're going to see all these self-help sections. Well, you're going to learn some good things. You're going to get a hold of some wisdom from some folks, but it still lacks the power. That's why counseling and instruction and things like that, void of Jesus, taking him out of there, then there's no power for it. You have principles and ideas, but you don't have any power to make it happen. And that's like having power tools, but no electricity nearby. And so we've got to have power and we don't have power. I don't have power. You don't have power. That's why, when we, that's why we struggle on our own. That's why, we, that's why we keep having to be rescued. That's why you keep are dealing with things. I wish I could change. I wish I could do better. You don't have the power. But this is the good news. There's somebody who has the power to do it. That's what the gospel is. And if you will believe that, then it's the power of God. There's something so powerful. It would bring salvation to you if you would just believe it. And so I decide I believe. When you believe, it doesn't mean that you have it all figured out. But it means I believe. And then that power comes to you. The power of God also brings you to the righteousness of God. Now, again, so this doesn't get lost on us. Righteousness here simply means this. To be in right standing with God. To be right with God. How many of you want to be right with God? How many of you know you're insecure You're insecure when you know somebody near to you, you're not right with them. Y'all acting like you don't know what I'm talking about. How many of you are married? (laughs) You know, and and sometimes, guys, I'll just speak for us. Sometimes, you know, we're fine. You know, and then we're near her. Hey, honey. Hello. What? And... We get insecure in that moment. Are y'all here? Let me just give you another verse, okay? It's not in the Bible, but we're writing it in there. If mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, okay? All right, write that in the front of your Bible. Go ahead, right now. Write that in the front of your Bible. No. But it creates this insecurity, and, and honestly, this, is, this has been the case, you know, that's like, I'm fine, and then I realize, though, but something's not fine. And what do we guys do? What did I do? <laughs> and maybe you didn't do anything. Or maybe you did a whole lot, and you're just numb and dumb, like a lot of guys are, okay? But the thing is, it creates an insecurity in that if things are not right, 
Or if you see somebody that things are not right with them and now you have to be in a setting where you're not right, that's why the love walk is so, so important. But here, hear this. We have been made right with God and there's nothing that you or I did that we could possibly be right with God. Except to believe the fact that this good news is what Jesus did for us took the things out of the way so that we could be right with God. So the power of God, this is the good news, the power of God brings us to the righteousness of God. That we can be right with God because of the power of God. That's the good news. And this is what it is when we're right with God, and I want you to get this. When we're right with God, then we're connected to our Heavenly Father. We're headed to heaven, and we have help on earth. Get that? We're connected to our Heavenly Father. We're headed to heaven, and I have help on earth. That's all you need. And that's good news. Everybody says it's good news. And that's good news worth having. And that's good news that's worth sharing. And I want to talk to you about the responsibility of sharing the good news. In this series, we're going to talk about how to maximize that for ourselves. That we're truly walking in the reality of the fact that I'm connected to my Heavenly Father. I'm headed to heaven. I have help on earth. That's the good news. The power of God. It's something so powerful it brought salvation to my life simply because I believed. God did the work through Christ. God did the work through Christ. He did what it took for me to be right with him. And I'm going to say it again because I want you to get it today. So that I'm connected to my heavenly father. I'm headed to heaven. And I have help here on earth. Amen? We have a responsibility not just to have that in our life, but as I said, to also share that. This is worth sharing. The good news, get this, the good news must be shared. It must be shared. Let's ask a few questions here. Are we ambassadors for the kingdom or are we just consumers in the kingdom? And the right answer is ambassador is what we should be. But let's look at ourselves sometimes. Are we maybe just consumers? One of my great concerns that we stay alert to is that we don't become the holy huddle. The holy huddle that we just kind of gather together with all those of like precious faith. And we just have this holy huddle. It's just us against the world. It's just us and Jesus, you know, and that, and that we're not open and aware of the people that are around us. And then we just become consumers. In fact, we'll see in Scripture that we're actually called to be ambassadors. Another question would be, are we guilty of what is called the sin of silence? And that is that we know something good and we don't share what is good. Are we ignoring? Are we unaware of? Are we disobeying what is called the Great Commission? Let me read it to you out of Mark uh, chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. And he, Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Salvation would come to them, but he who does not believe will be condemned. A lot of people take their out out of that scripture. It says, go into all the world and preach. Oh, good. I'm, I'm not a preacher. I don't, I don't preach. I, I don't have to do that. That's for preachers. No, that word means to publish and to make known. How many of you, if you won the super lotto, big Powerball, whatever deal, how many of you would, would probably strut your stuff and let somebody know? Okay, y'all are so holy. Um, 
How many of you, if you won on The Price is Right, would, would let... Y'all are the most difficult people I've talked to all day today. Something good happens for you, you know, you're, you're going to share that. You can make something known. I know you can make something known. I know you can. Uh, gossip is a perversion of evangelism. Seriously. That you can make something known. That you could share something. And so it's important that we're not just consumers. We should consume and receive all that God has for us. But we also, we are called, church, hear me. This is a responsibility. This is something that God has given us. He has made us ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5 actually says that God wants to make his appeal to others through us as ambassadors. He wants to make that appeal through us. Now, let's look at some things so that we can see what the the real situation is here. And I want to share with you some numbers, some statistics for just the next few moments. I've gathered these from uh, the Rainer Group, uh, Barna Research, and even one of these I've got from the Ocala Star Banner. So, in the United States of America, there are currently 313 million people. And 160 million of those people, just more than half, are what are considered to be unchurched. Unchurched. 40% of those unchurched, which represents 64 million people, 40% of those that are unchurched are actually what are called de-churched. And that means that they actually, that used to be a part of their life. They actually attended and were a part of church, but they don't anymore. Studies show that they're not anti-God, though. And we'll look a little bit further at this. In Marion County, where we live, there are 515 churches. And in Marion County, 65% of our population has no church affiliation. The average for the state of Florida is 61%. And it just, it's alarming to me. It's hard for me to imagine that over half of the United States of America are unchurched. They'll show up for weddings, funerals, some special events. You have, you know, people go to Christmas or that, you know, Easter or whatever. uh, And then some that just don't go at all. But they're unchurched. They really don't have church affiliation or any commitment. Over half for the United States. And then for our fair community, hear this. In the Bible Belt, in beautiful central Florida... We've got 515 churches and 65% of the people in our, in our community have no church affiliation. Let's go a little bit further. 95% of believers. Do we have any believers here today? Okay. All right. I got you in on this. Watch this. 95% of believers have never led someone to Jesus. 95% of believers have never led somebody to Jesus. And only 2% of believers invite the unchurched to church. I think you're, you blow that average a little bit. But only 2% invite others to church. 82%, that's over 8 out of 10, 82% of the unchurched would be, get this, somewhat likely to attend church if they were invited. There's 132 million people somewhat likely to attend church if they were only invited. Let's go a little bit further here. 
17 million of the unchurched are considered to be highly receptive to the gospel. I mean, they're even closer yet. Only one in 20, say one in 20. Only one in, only one in 20 are highly resistant or antagonistic toward church and the gospel. Get the second half of this. And most of these have some kind of church or religious background. So people that are, that are hostile, antagonistic toward church and the gospel, part of their problem is they were already a part of church. And church was done in such a way that, that something skewed it for them, and now they don't want church in their life. It's amazing. It's amazing as you look at studies and different things of people that are anti because they once were part of, and that concerns me of how that was done in the first place. Very interesting, one last statistic here. 70% of the unchurched, they're unchurched. 70% of those want, they desire, religious instruction for their children. So they know on the inside there's something to this. And my heart yearns and burns for this fact. I believe with all my heart that church days affect the rest of our days. And we have 65% of our community getting affected by other things. You know, affecting the rest of their days. I can't answer for any other church, but I can look at our church. And I want to make sure that we're a place where our doors are open, that our arms are open, that we're a friendly, loving people, that we're doing church in the right way. I think with every fiber of our being, every part of our soul, everything that we can do, we want to do this thing right so that we can properly impact the people that are within our reach. Can I get an amen or something? Let's look a little bit at this. The unchurched have two main reasons why they are, in fact, unchurched. The first one is this. They have either visited or attended church, but had a negative experience. They've either attended or visited church and had a negative experience. Most of those that are de-churched, the reason they're de-churched is because either they had a negative experience or it just didn't hold them. It didn't, it didn't speak to their life. It didn't help them in life. They weren't learning things that would help them. And so they unplug and they're de-churched. But let's think about this. What is a negative experience at church? I want you to know that I give all that I can that as if it counted all upon me uh, to have a positive experience at church. But I've got to fill you in on something. It's not all up to me. Because the number one complaint that people had in this nationwide study that was conducted, one of the things that they didn't like about church, it was a negative experience that, it was, that people weren't friendly. One of the things that I hear about you often, so often, is how friendly you are. And so I want to encourage you to stay friendly. If somebody comes in and sits in your seat, that's why we don't put name tags on everything you know, around our church. This seat donated by brother so-and-so. You know, this, this row given in memory of grandma. You know, we, we don't do that because then we start to get real territorial. People are territorial anyway. We're very territorial. Y'all mess me up sometimes. You know, I came out greeting folks before service. I got a couple here. What are you doing sitting here? They always are sitting over here. And see, people are very territorial, you know, in things. And we need to make sure that we realize that church is not just about us. This is not some comfort, holy huddle, my place kind of thing 
We are ambassadors. We are ambassadors. And so one of the complaints that caused negative experience was that people were unfriendly. Here's some of the others. Unkept facilities. That things were a mess. They were broken down and so forth. And that's why we do our very, very best to keep things clean and neat and in good repair. Another one, believe it or not, was poor signage within and without. It's like they didn't know where to go, no one to direct them, no signs that were clear. Here's another one. This one bothers me. The preacher was boring. (laughs) The nerve. Uh, They didn't contact us for this survey. This is a national. The other thing was services were confusing. Some of the footnotes on that where they didn't know when to stand up, when to sit down, when to do whatever, what's going on right now. Another big one, this ties in with being unfriendly. They did not feel included. It was not inclusive. They felt definitely like they were left out. Another one is no excellence. No excellence. It wasn't helpful or there was strife. And one of the complaints of those that are de-churched, that used to attend church, was that the strife and splits and things that happen in church, they thought, you know, that, that should never happen. They said, forget it. These are the people that are supposed to be about love, and this is what they do. See ya. See ya. So one of the things that has people unchurched or de-churched is some kind of negative experience. The second one is this. The reason that people are unchurched is this. They've never been invited. They've never been invited. And I just shared with you numbers that 8 out of 10, 8 out of 10, 83% actually, would be somewhat likely to attend church if they were just invited. And the best way to do that is through some kind of relationship or connection. You know, we get a lot of invitations, you know, a billboard, a flyer, something in the news, you know, on TV, or somebody puts something under our windshield wiper inviting you to a church, to a service. Um, Yesterday, I had some friendly people knock on my door and invite me to something. And um, anyway, and um, (laughs) but our culture, our society, more and more and more, we don't want that. We don't want that. Especially since 9-11, something changed. Something totally clicked. Who are you? Why are you knocking on my door? Why are you calling me? What are you doing in my neighborhood? Why are you by my car? This kind of thing. We want to know somebody. There's been so many scams and schemes on everything, you know, that people are very leery of anything unless somebody they know, somebody they're connected to has something to say about it. And so the number one most effective form of evangelism or sharing about this is what is called, get this with me, relational invitational evangelism. Relational Invitational. Say it with me. Relational, invitational evangelism. And the way that works is you have a connection with somebody. You know them from work. You know them from your neighborhood. There's somebody you're related to. They're a friend of yours. You have some kind of business or casual or even close relationship with. That carries weight. Those kind of things because they know you. Over the years, I've gone to everything from ballet recitals to bar mitzvahs just because somebody asked me to come to it. And it's because there's a connection, a relationship that that you end up going to something. And so relational, invitational evangelism. Can I put that into another, uh, another phrase here? The people you know, you need to get them to church. 
The people you know, you need to get them to church. Well, people, people maybe would, the pushback would be, well, they can come to know Jesus without coming to church. Absolutely they can. But look, look at the studies here. 95% of believers have never led anybody to the Lord. And so it's not happening out there like it needs to. Whereas church is set up for that. It's set up for that. And what you need to do is through invitational, relational evangelism, get people to church. There are millions of people all over, and let me just put it down into our terms here. There are all kinds of people within your reach, think about this, that are just one conversation away. They're perhaps one invitation away from getting introduced to Jesus. Do you think about that? That they would just be one invitation away, one conversation away from getting introduced to Jesus. I was going to say this a little bit later, but I want to say this now. I want you to... to realize that what, what matters to God should matter to you. And the fact that there are people that are not connected with him, they're not in church in any way, they're not in an active relationship with Jesus, that matters to God. And so you know what? It should matter to you. It should matter to me. And who are those people? Let's start with the people that you know. Let's start at the people that are within your reach and within, within your influence. And I want to, throughout this series, invite you to do something that I call bend a knee. Bend a knee. And it means just get before God in a time and just say, God, put somebody in my heart. God, show me the, per- the people that are around me and let him set it up. You hear me? Let him set it up. We're not called to do witnessing. We're called to be witnesses. We just finished the series on the Holy Spirit. And one of the things Jesus said he would do is he would bring a power into your life so that you could be a witness, not go do witnessing. When I got born again, we were in a part of a, a little Southern Baptist church, and so I'm, for, I'm forever grateful uh, to the Southern Baptists and their emphasis on salvation. But there's one thing that our little church did, and I'm, I'm in sixth grade at this time, okay? So I'm just 21 years old, and I'm in sixth grade. <laughs> I was just making sure you're paying attention. But I was in sixth grade, and about week three of being a Christian now, they said, everybody has to get on a witnessing team. So come out on Saturday afternoon. So we go. My parents dropped us off. We're here for witnessing team. I'm 12. So we get in teams. They give us some little material. They send us out into neighborhoods. I hated this. I didn't want to be here. I'm scared to death. I can't breathe. I got to go to the bathroom. I'm hungry. I don't want to be here. <laughs> Thinking about making myself throw up. Something to get out of this. And here we go. And all of a sudden the leader for my little team says this. Okay, it's your turn. Next house is yours. We get there and we're looking. We knock on the door. No answer on the door. I hear something out back. We go around, it's yours, go buddy. Go around to the back, there's this big, burly, hairy man with no shirt. He's got a whole fleet of ships tattooed on him. And he's hanging up clothes on a clothesline. Hi, sir. He was not gracious and welcoming. There was no tearful conversion at the feet of the clothesline. 
And I'm going to tell you something. It was so embarrassing. It was so pressure-filled. It was so whatever. And in weeks and weeks and weeks of being a part of that, I never saw anything happen. And it further enforced something in me that I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Nobody wants this. I don't want to do this. But I love Jesus, so we'll just do this. But I'm telling you what, it, it, it drove something on the inside of me that when I can get away from this, I'm going to get away from this. As soon as I got my driver's license, I told my parents I'm not going to church anymore. My stepdad quickly corrected that situation. Said, if I feed you and you live under this roof, you go to church, but you don't have to go to our church anymore. I left their church. I went to a bigger church in town. Number one reason, they had girls. That kept me in church until later on I actually got invited by a couple of friends of mine in community college who actually had a fire and a light for Jesus. And they invited me to a church and I I stepped into a church where it was alive, where there was awesome music, where you could understand the word. People were friendly. I felt God's presence and I've never turned back. I've never turned back. And I want this church to be that all the more. And, and how did I get to that church? Somebody invited me. Somebody invited me. And I'm telling you what, I could today be a de-churched person. And so you have friends, you have neighbors, you have people that you run into that are within your, your reach, within your influence. And there's a million reasons why they don't go to church There's a million reasons why they used to go to church. And this is the thing that we have to realize. We're not just consumers. We are ambassadors. We're not called to go do witnessing. We're called to be witnesses. And as we grow in that salvation in our relationship with God, what does that mean? That we're connected to the Father, I'm headed to heaven, and I have some help on earth. Then there's going to be some light. There's going to be some peace. It's not about perfection. It's about continuing to go in the same direction, though. Some consistency in your life. That, hey, I may fall, but I get back up. Hey, I go through stuff, but God helps me. And that there would be a grace and a peace in our life that will help to open up a situation one day where you know it's right to share with somebody. Or somebody's going to ask you, hey, I know you believe in God. I know you do the church thing. Hey, I'm going through something. Could you say a little prayer? Well, don't just go, oh, sure. Of course, offer to pray for them. But you know what? That may be the opportunity of the Holy Spirit setting up for you. Hey, I'll, I'll be glad to pray for you, but I want to do one better. Would you come with me to church? And I want Meadowbrook Church, listen to me. I want Meadowbrook Church to always be a place where you don't have to be embarrassed to bring anybody. And you can help me to do that by being friendly people, by being a light to people, And by inviting people to help to create a culture here that we are not just consumers of this incredible good news. Yes, we are consumers, but beyond that, because we're consumers of this, guess what else we have to be? We have to be ambassadors of this. If this is worth having, it's also worth sharing. Amen. Did you get anything at all out of this today?